Welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alchemy of Business show. Whether you are listening in or viewing, however you got here, we are just glad you are here. We are always talking on this show about making wiser decisions, greater profits, and higher purpose. And the woman we have on today, no better to talk about that because she does all of these things. She is a serial entrepreneur. She is known as the America's Lifestyle Mastery Mentor. She started actually in the financial space that we're going to hear about as a top, top lender over the years and became literally ranked in the top 1% of all of the U.S. from all mortgage companies numerous years in a row. So she is like literally not even the top 3%, top 1% per business industry. She has been married for 38 years. She has two children and three grandchildren. So she obviously knows about discipline and commitment and flexibility and compromise. Uh, She lives in Northern Virginia and she's the CEO and the founder of numerous companies. And she also was in architectural design and construction engineering. So this is a woman who is very, very well versed. She's an eight-time Amazon best-selling author. She hosts two different podcasts. She's also a TV show host. Um, and she's an expert on life of luxury living, priority and time management, business relationships, business scaling, sales management, and a certified master facilitator. She also is an investor herself in real estate. Very, very charismatic. I can attest to that because I've met her in person and on online. She's been to various workshops and been around people and spoke with like Tony. Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Darren Hardy, Sharon Lecter, and more. And she speaks all over the country in masterminds and workshops, and she conducts many trainings for various salespeople. But we have Miss Jen Duplessis here today, and I'm honored to have her on. So Jen, thanks, and welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Steve. Well, thanks for being here. Hey, you have done so much in your life. I mean, sometimes I bet when you read your own bio, you hear someone like that, you're like, oh my God, I have done all of those things. Does it seem like even amazing to you at times? It does. You know, it's funny. I was speaking at a mortgage company's national sales rally last week and I was standing on the side waiting for them to introduce me. It was like 500 people, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just let me get up there and start talking, right? And yeah, so it's really hard to, you know, try to figure out how to bullet these things. And and yeah, you look back on it and you're just like, you know, I feel like I'm 39. Not that I've been in a business for 39 years. You know? <laughs> so. Well, luckily you've been able to keep that lifestyle that you look actually way, way younger than you are to have uh, been married that long and kids and grandkids. So you're doing something right on your lifestyle stuff Thank and your you. bio. So let's talk Thank about the, the sweetheart. Did you meet your husband in, he was your sweetheart in high school? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We are actually, it's funny. Uh, my first book called Launch, How to Take Your Business to New Heights. My dedication in there says to, to Danny from Sandy from Greece, movie yes, yes. Greece, because that is us. I'm much more prim and proper. He's much more not prim. He and was proper. your bad boy, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, he really is. And, and uh, you know, he's a car buff and, you know, all of that. And I, I again, I was just much more prim and proper and, you know, have a, had a coveted kind of lifestyle, you know, life back then. And uh, just opposites attract. We graduated from the same high school on the same day, met, and we were in 10th grade when we met. We were off and on a little bit, you know, through high school, but I got back together on Valentine's Day, the year we graduated. And it's now been 42 years that we've been together, 39 wow. years coming up. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I've been then 32, so you have uh, a speed on that. And uh, I'm very curious. It's one thing to meet someone in high school and have that instant connection and opposites attract, but if the audience is listening here, and I'm sure this relates into your businesses as well that we're going to get into, but what is it that you and or he have together as a partnership that has made this partnership? Because a marriage is a partnership, just like many other things that we do in life. But how have you made one of these most important partnerships in life work so long and work so consistently in your life. Yeah. It's funny you use the word partnership. We actually call it team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever we're talking to each other. So for those of you that are watching, we, we look at each other and we go team. And we do this kind of, you know, it's not a triangle, but we say team because we really realize that young, you know, because we were so young when we got married and yeah. we weren't pregnant or anything. We didn't have our first son for like four years, but we were 19. And he had just turned 20 by a couple of days. And we say team because we really leaned on each other a lot. And there are times when he's the lead parent and I'm the lead parent or he's the lead or an income earner. I'm the lead income earner. But if I put it all back into, you know, what really works uh, for us is our faith. We believe that we were married, you know, when we stand at the altar and say that, you know, till death do us part, we truly believe that. And so that means that any struggle that we have or challenge or wins that we have, all of that, we're reaching out and saying thank you you know, thank you and gratitude. So I know it sounds very loose because people say, oh, you know, oh, so if you just believe in your faith, you're going to be okay. But you know, it just really is the guiding light for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and a lot of what we talk about in the show is faith. And the you know mm-hmm. part of alchemy is the alchemy of the chemistry of things. And it's the elixir of life. And a lot of times it's yeah. the intangibles in our businesses, our passions that we create and do, our artistic thing, or in relationships with spouses, partners, or children. It is that faith of yeah. believing in something higher than yourself. So we're going to get later in the show about faith, but in talking about how faith applies for you, not only in your marriage, but also in your daily practice. And you've overcome a lot of obstacles in life as well. So I'm a big believer in that faith thing. And I think faith, yes, you can have faith, but what you and I have come to learn, and I've learned this just in the recent time of knowing you here, is that you put it into action. It's one mm-hmm. thing to have faith, but mm-hmm. you know, God or energy or mother, uni- mother nature or universe can only do so much if we're not making our feet move and our hands do the work to get stuff done. So you've got to have mm-hmm. faith, but you obviously have applied putting things into action in doing the hard work, not only in your marriage, but in your businesses. So Let's talk about some of your business stuff, but congratulations on your marriage. I'm a grandpa as well. They call me Poppy. They don't call me grandpa, but it's a great experience Uh, to have that next generation. Oh yeah. No, you can't call me grandma. I'd be upset about that. (laughs) (laughs) What do your grandkids call you? Uh, They actually call me Dama, which is hilarious because uh, I told my son, I said, I want to be called Glamma. And he said, no. (laughs) <laughs> That's not going to happen. And I said, well, I don't like some, because I'm 100% German. And I said, I don't like Uma. And so someone said granny. And I said, no. And I said, forget it. Just let them call me grandma. I'll just suffer through it. And 
she couldn't pronounce it, my first one. She couldn't pronounce grandma. What came out was dama. And then it ends up being high class lady in Spanish. So I got glamma anyway. That fits you well. well cool. <laughs> oh, I know I love being a poppy. It's definitely a highlight. It definitely makes yeah. the hard thing. So let's see. Let's jump into your business stuff. So graduated high school, got married. When did you start getting into what you called your career path? When did you go, oh, I have a career now? Was it in the financial <laughs> space or was it before that? Yeah. Well, no, it was before that. So first of all, I was pre-med and I was going to be a cardiologist. I ended up studying architectural design and construction engineering. So I still have that mindset, you know, very logical, you know, linear thinker. I'm also very fun, but I went in that direction and I graduated. Everything I've done in my life has been accelerated. So I graduated really early at 19. Wow. <laughs> uh, from college. And I accelerated. I did everything through the summer. I just wanted to get it, you know, get it over with. So um, I graduated. And back then, you know, in 83, because you and I were talking about this earlier, is that uh, yesterday, as we're recording this, was my 39th anniversary, you know, in business. But I couldn't find a job as an architect. It was so hard for women. I was the only woman in a class of 67. And men couldn't find jobs as architects either. So I went to, uh, job placement company. And they said, well, you're going to go to a mortgage company. They need a receptionist and you're going to go to, uh, they need a teller. And I never made it to the bank. Thank goodness. I landed at the mortgage company and the rest is history. Wow. Well, and the, the, uh, the accelerated thing, let's take a few minutes and talk about that. we got about five minutes left in this segment, but I'm curious when you say everything you did was accelerated, what <laughs> gene, what mindset, what skill, what talent <laughs> do you have? You've studied many, many people over the years with all the people you've studied, coached, taught, learned from, et cetera. What is it that you or other people have that make them accelerators? Yeah, I actually can't answer that for everyone because I think this is an inside job. You know, I think that people are just, they're either born with it or they create it, but it becomes from inside. And I think that's where inspiration comes versus motivation. I think that's an exterior. exterior you look for motivation from other people, you know, versus the inside job. Um, so in the time that we have, because I know we're going to be going to a break here. I'll just quickly we'll tell right you back. that. Uh, Go ahead. Start. We'll carry on with it too. Go ahead. So my father, John, was an alcoholic. My mother, was a ginger, was a verbal abuser. And I was one of 36 first cousins. And I was wow. the only one who was an only child. And we were the poorest of all of them. And so we had this, you know, nasty kind of, you know, thing that was around us all the time. And my uncle said to me, my nickname was Jenny, who ain't got a penny. Hmm. And oh, my wow. uncle said to me one day, uh, you know, Jenny, you're going to be just like your parents because that's what how things go. If your dad's an alcoholic, you'll be, a, they smoke, you'll be, they're poor, you'll be, all of that. And one day I came home, my father had a shotgun to my mom's head. Mm. And that was the turning point for me. And I said, no, I'm not going to be like everybody else. I'm going to be my own person. I was brought into this world to be greater than this. And everything, so the DNA that I have was a life of proving. I was the best at everything. Of course, I was going to be a doctor. Of course, I played um, played flute and piccolo in the Colorado Springs Symphony while I was in high school. Of course, I was a state champion tennis player. Of course, I was runner-up Miss Colorado, mm. right? Of course, I was a cheerleader. You name it, I did it better Good. than anybody else because yeah. I was proving. Wow, that's powerful. Well, that, you know, the, the breaking the cycle, and as my engineer here is, is saying, oh, powerful stuff, you know, breaking the cycle. Everybody has a choice. Boy, do I believe that. Yeah. And your accelerators, you were saying you're either born with it or you create it. So if you don't have the luxury of knowing, oh, I was born with that, you do have the power because you have this choice to create. And, you know, one of the things about alcoholism, many, many, if not all families in some way have been touched about by alcohol or addiction. It's part of our society. Yeah. I myself yeah. was an alcoholic and has haven't had 
had a drink in 19 years, but I know what that does to families and the impact. So I applaud you on saying, not me. I'm breaking the cycle. Yeah. So uh, for the audience listening in, if you want to hear more from Jenny Without a Penny, who is now with Jenny with Millions, who has not only broken the cycle, but she found a way to create wealth in her life in many ways, not just through her grandkids and her marriage and her lifestyle, but also she got into the industry of finance and helping people with money. I mean, it's interesting to me to this day that uh, one of the most lucrative things you can do is sell money. And Jenny Without a Penny definitely learned how to master money. So come back, audience, and listen in to the Alchemy of Business. We're going to be talking more with Jen about money, careers, entrepreneurship, and making transitions in your life because she's done a lot of that as well. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Hello, everyone, and thanks for signing back in, listening back in, or tuning back in. You are on the Alchemy of Business show, and we are here with Ms. Jen Duplessis, who is a serial entrepreneur, a coach, a mentor, a speaker. She does so many things. We were talking about before the break, Jen, you were sharing about this impact that you had this uh, challenge with uh, growing up with your childhood, with your your dad being an alcoholic, and that that the, some of the things that happened from that driving you. I think many people listening in can relate to something in their childhood that was traumatic through parents or family members that are, you know, we expect them to be the ones that love us the most and inspire us the most. But many times greatest teachers, because they are the sandpaper to our soul, they are the ones that cause us this imprint that sometimes can be damaging, it can destroy you, or it can help propel you into the next level of your life. So when did you know that this was not you said, you know, your uncle said Jenny without a penny, and you're going to be this when you made that decision distinctly, no, I'm going to break this cycle. What did that mean to you? Like when you when you said it at that time, and then you went on this mission, was it this thing to prove and to drive and to create? Or when that, that shift happened, what immediately started happening in your life after that? Yeah. I mean, well, this shift happened when I was nine years old, but I can remember it distinctly. I mean, I, I honest to goodness remember it. And if you've ever seen Forrest Gump, right? And Jenny yeah, goes into the cornfield. Yeah. I literally am that Jenny who, when I, that movie came out, it made me cry because it, it was me. I always wore dresses. I looked dirty. My hair was like that and I'm blonde. And, you know, I just was in the, in the field for a different reason, praying, right? And I didn't have anybody next to me, but I remembered, you know, running there. My grandparents lived next door and they were, you know, very, very inspired inspirational for me in my life. But, you know, for me, it was just the conviction of that's not going to happen to me. And so what I just started doing is honestly, I started separating myself from my parents emotionally because they were just, I was circling the drain with them. And I just wanted to, you know, emotionally disconnect. They didn't connect, disconnect from them, but emotionally, you know, they would tell me I can't do something all the time, which we're going to talk about here. They would always tell me, you can't do that. You can't do that. You, you were too, you know, you're not smart enough. You don't come from the right, this, that, and the other. You're too tiny. I was really tiny. And so all, all of those things. And I would just say, don't, don't tell me that just watch what I, can do. And that's what I did is I just spent, you know, an exorbitant amount of time just, you know, going on that path of proving until I decided one day I was going to start living and stop you know, stop proving and start living. Right. But, you know, it was just, it was just an inner drive that happened. And again, uh, it was faith-based as well. My, as I said, my grandparents were very helpful. I went to mass every morning with my grandparents because it was a way to get away from the house. 
Mm-hmm. for school so that faith and that drive of and, and cycle is going to change you even went on to write and talk about here and this tell me i can is that a book that you wrote that's showing on the screen here yeah actually that picture is just tell that's my tv show that's my talk show tell me i can't and so we're being released uh, we're releasing that march 16th so we're about ready to be doing that in a couple weeks and um, we're real excited about about that we have a big reveal coming up and i've written a book about the same name it's a it's um not the same genre. Uh It is a fiction book. We're in the midst of talking to Hallmark and Lifetime to create a screenplay for it. So it'll be a movie. So if you've ever watched Hallmark or Lifetime, you know what kind of a book it is. But the undertones of the character were my thoughts and my, you know, imposter syndrome and my limiting beliefs and and some of the things that I overcame as well is this character goes through this process, you know. So when you went on this path, it became that you like, no one's going to hold me down. I'm going to create. You went on to not only do those things, but you excel. I mean, you've been on Good Morning America. You've been on Sirius XM. You've been on the Washington Post. So, you know, some of these images that my engineer was showing me earlier with your the different things you've done. When you were on these things, on these shows, for anyone that's viewing, you can see this. You've been on Good Morning America. America, Sirius XM, Washington Post, you've been written about you. How did you then process through that when you were thinking of this nine-year-old girl who said, I'm going to be conscious enough to take destiny in my life. And then you became a teenager and then a young woman and you were emotionally disconnecting from your parents. Where did you start emotionally connecting then through your faith and then applying that to either the schools you talked about or showing up that you could be sought after enough that you were on these shows? How did that yeah. become? I mean, well, that was that later. Path. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was obviously later. I mean, the one thing about meeting Brian and I, I say this, you know, I mean, he, he's everything to me. There's no question about it. He's everything to me. And, you know, he came from, his mom was married seven times. His parents were married to each other three times. Oh man. Okay. So he came from this horrible, you know, he was looking for consistency and, you know, that kind of thing and thinking I had it. And of course I was coveting it, right. I wouldn't let anybody see that this thing was going on behind the scenes in my household. Right, right. And so he was he was drawn to the consistency and I was drawn to fun because mm. he was just kind of this loose cannon, you know, that he didn't really have parents. He was the parent of the family. And and I think that's what drew us together. And, you know, he's the one who said to me, you know, later on, it's, you know, you have to stop doing everything for everybody else. You have to start doing some things for yourself. Yes. And he's the one who really, you know, helped me see that. And so I always say that, you know, it takes a really strong man to stand behind an alpha woman, but it takes an even stronger man to stand behind an alpha woman who is determined. Mm, <laughs> right. Powerful. And, yeah. and, and he's happy so to. True. Yeah. And he's happy to take that role, you know, when it comes to that. Now, when we're in our house and stuff, I'm the wife, I get it. But, you know, he does take his whole career is taken second seat and that's okay. He's okay with that. And I'm okay with that too, because he, you know, holds me so high on a pedestal and he does so much for me. You know, I don't think I could have done it without him. There's no doubt. Well, it sounds like you've really created that work-life balance within your team relationship of your marriage. And you guys have definitely broken the cycle, both on his side of family and yours. (laughs) What a great example to set for your your children and grandchildren. Yeah. And how, when you're, when you were climbing that ladder of success, and I want to get into your now in the next week, we've got six or seven minutes left in this segment, but I want to ask this question and then go into your career path of finance because you took yeah. to the finance world and just accelerated about learning about money and helping people buy, sell money and et cetera. But let me go back to this path of how did you and he decide consciously or unconsciously about creating this work-life balance? Because if you were so driven as an alpha kind of female in the workplace and you were driving, driving, so to speak, and making more money or getting the accolades and he was doing his thing, how did you both talk about having work-life balance and it just naturally evolved? Do you have a communication? 
education system within your marriage that you create this work-life balance because you obviously have done something for 38 years to do that and you both have created your own careers and your own past. So I'm just wanting to know about that that old phrase people say, can you really have work-life balance? Yeah, so I'm going to be a disruptor and say that I don't believe in work-life balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, in the early years, and this is kind of getting back to your previous question, but in the early years of my career, I was just, you know, climbing the corporate ladder like everybody else, you know, and, and definitely in a male dominated industry and yes, just were. climbing and climbing the ladder and working really long hours. And of course we had the kids and then all of a sudden I was just late with excuses. I'm so sorry. I'm late cold dinner. And they say, well, you know what? We gave up and we just ate without you. And I'm so sorry this, and I'm so sorry that. And, you know, and here I was at, you know, at that time closing $50 million in production, I was in the top 1% of loan officers, you know, for many, many years, but I was just working these dog long hours and I didn't believe in balance even then, but I was still trying to balance. And the thing about balance is if you look at a scale, it's 50, 50, it means that you're a little of this and a little of that, and you're exhausted while it's happening because you're trying to balance them. So I just decided that there's no such thing. So instead, I I said, well, how can I do $50 million a year in production and only work four days a week? How can I do that? And so I set out to what is now called Cracking the Top Producer Co., but I I set out to do that. And what I found is that, um, (laughs) unbeknownst to me, I ended up doing $102 doubled my income, and I ended up working four days a week. And so I cracked this code, finding that it's not about balance, it's about being present, it's having priorities. This is why I am a priority master, right? Helping people with their priorities so that they're intentional and they're laser focused on the things that will move the needle in their business or their life so they can live that life of luxury, not a a luxurious life, but a life of luxury, the luxury of being able to spend time with your family and do the things you want to do. And so that's when I look back on, you know, Good Morning America and Wall Street Journal and all that, that was all financial stuff that was in the midst of me going, "Ah, I need more, I need more, I need to, you know, Mm -hmm. show everyone that I can do this and prove to people just waiting for my parents or my, my uncle to say, I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you, you know, just waiting for that, that word to be told. So, you know, as I started doing that, I I think there was resentment by my husband. I think I resented that I was laden with excuses and I knew that something had to change. And, you know, and that's when I made the change. I knew it, it had to, and it wasn't my marriage was sacrificing or anything. I just knew that I could not do that for more years. And that's when yeah, I, I you know, obviously went into the top 200 loan officers in the country. That's powerful. Well, I mean, I, I mean, that whole concept of being present and having priorities. I also am one of those believers. I don't know that you can really have life balance in a daily, weekly, monthly scenario. It doesn't mean if you're not in a partnership team or marriage, it can have balance as it ebbs Ebb and, and flows flow. over time. But it's sometimes very yeah. hard on a daily or weekly base to have that life balance because you're something has to give when you are driven to become an Olympian athlete, as an example, to win the gold medal, that you have to sacrifice a lot of stuff along the way to make that happen. So in our own lives, whether we are business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, management, restaurant workers, whatever it might be, whatever your own goal is, there are things that have to get sacrificed to make that thing be. But if you're being present, as you said, and knowing what your priorities are along with that, and that your team or your partner, your spouse or your mate is supporting you in that, and you're supporting them in it, there is a way to create balance, your own type balance. It may not be societal view balance, but when you realize you don't care about that. So I love that you 
master yeah, that. Yeah, and I don't think you have to have sacrifice. I really don't. And we can talk about that, I know, after the next break. Um, I okay. just don't feel like you have to have sacrifice when you are intentional. There's no sacrifice. Well, let's <laughs> definitely not. bring that back in the set because yeah. I want to talk more yeah. about that because I want to yeah. get controversial on that because I would love to learn what you mean by that and, and <laughs> see if I can shift my thinking on it. So that would be yeah. great. Well, let's come yeah. back on that. We only have one minute here, so I don't want to open up too big a top, but I do want to, what made you become a loan officer? And then I want to come back from the segment and learn about how you were getting to the level of helping people in 50 million to 100 million to amounts of loans all combined. I mean, that's a lot of lot of loans, refis and purchases. Let's first talk about, as we wrap the segment, what made you become a loan officer at the in the very first year of becoming one? Yeah, uh, I was tired of talking to paper and wanted to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can uh, yeah, see why you're good at it. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Let's learn more about Jen, why she got tired of talking to paper and wanted to talk to people <laughs> and turn that into a multi-million dollar sales business for whatever company she worked with. And what I learned about being in real estate myself and managing real estate companies and finance companies, salespeople are what makes the world go round. I don't care what business you're in. If you have a strong salesperson selling any product, yeah. whether you're selling widgets, you're selling loans, you're selling houses, you're selling healthcare, a good sales person can write their own ticket. So I want to come back with the audience and have you teach all day, every day in different ways to people through your programs that you do, through your videos and through your one-on-one or group coachings about how they can master their sales skills and their life itself. So if you'd like to learn more about how the art of selling and the art of turning that into not only powerful money opportunities, but also having a life not only that's just luxurious, but a life of luxury, what that means to Jen, Come back and listen in because we're going to talk more about that. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business. We are here having riveting conversations with Jen. Uh, Jen Duplessis, who is a serial entrepreneur, teacher, mentor, podcaster, wife, all many things. But we were talking about this transition of having this, uh, basically, I asked her how she got into the lending business, which was a, a part of her career, which was a big part of her career because she excelled at it. And she's now gone on years later to maximize those learnings. But Jen, you were talking about how you became a lending person because you wanted to go from talking, being with paper to people. And and so it sounds like maybe you were like doing the processing of stuff and then you decided yeah. you wanted to be on the front end of the sales side. So let's quickly talk about that. Yeah. And then I think that also led for you to management and leadership into some of the other things, which was a stepping stone for you to really yeah. do now, really. Well, I mean, you know, back in 1983, when, you know, in the mortgage business, every woman was not, there wasn't any women who were originators. They were all back office operations stuff. So of course I started off as the receptionist slash setup clerk, right? And I was so excited because I made $749 a month as a salary and I was finally past the hourly wage, right? And I look at that and I think, oh my gosh, <laughs> right? But I was so excited, $749 a month. And then, you know, I went into processing and then I went into underwriting. In fact, I was one of the first delegated underwriters for FHA nationally and underwrote for several years, became an underwriting manager, uh, became a branch, assistant branch manager, branch manager, not, you know, region, you name it, region, national sales manager, you know, I, listen, nothing was going to get in my way, right? right? Oh. If I had a path and I'm going to keep going, right? <laughs> keep going. But I got to the point where I was just so tired of babysitting people, right? Because that's management. And I thought that's what I wanted because of this linear logical thinker that I am, but I've got this other side of me that is very uh, playful. 
right? And, and fun. And, you know, I don't take anything too seriously. And I just realized that I didn't want to sit at a desk and just look at paper all day long. I really wanted to get out and talk to people. And that's when I started going out. And because I was an underwriter, I said, well, I'm going to be in a roaming underwriter and I'm going to teach people. And I started presenting. So I've been, you know, doing training, you know, and, and classes and stuff like that for real estate agents, you know, for eons and eons for 20 some years. And that was my path, you know, to create my expertise in being able to educate. And of course, that led into a lot of speaking and and stuff like that. So that's where that all started. And, you know, and then again, became one of the top producers in the country and led a whole team of other salespeople as well. So you found a vehicle to create your expertise. And then your expertise, you you were so expert at it that you were then called into or asked to start educating others of your expertise. And that led to really that being your launching ground, not only to make money as a salesperson because you mastered it and people respected you from it. How did you decide then from that transformation to go, okay, just like in your early life, you said, okay, this is not going to be, don't tell me I can't. What made you go, okay, I'm going to get out of this pond. I've been swimming in this pond. I'm now at the top of the fish pond. And now I want to go become a podcaster and a master coach and a consultant. And how did that come about? And what skills did you have? Yeah, it's a a funny story because, yeah, it's a funny story because I actually I actually remember the moment, you know, and what happened was I turned, I think I turned 47. And at that time I was, you know, like in the business for a certain amount of time. And I went, wait a minute, 57, 67. <gasps> I'm not going to tell anybody that I've been in this business for 45 years. Cause that's only for attorneys. <laughs> right. And I said, I've got to have a plan to get out. And, you know, and so that was part of the process was, all right, now that I'm producing really well, let me grow a team under me so that I can start living the life I want to live and start doing some other things. When I elevated into the top 200 loan officers in the country, I started getting phone calls. Can I pick your brain? Can I pick your brain? The servant person I am said, sure. But now it was taking more and more of my time. And I said, now this isn't going to work. What is out there that I could answer their questions? And that's when this thing called podcast came was starting. And I had just helped my son create a podcast for his company. And we made all kinds of mistakes. And I said, all right, well, now that I know what not to do, I'll go ahead and start my own little podcast. And that's how I started answering everyone's questions. And then that elevated, it just elevated into, can you speak here and speak there? And now I'm one of the top speakers in the mortgage and real estate space. And, um, and I'm, I speak in other spaces too, but you know, um, that's where that all started happening. And now you talk about balance. It's like, I got to get, I have to get rid of one because I can't do both. I was right. killing myself I mean, I both. and I was already thrust back into those millions of hours. Right. So I said, I have to do one or the other. And I had a trajectory going and the time was right. And I planned it perfectly. I said, I wanted to retire before I was 55 and I want to retire when I was 35 years in the business. And that's exactly what I did. And that's no surprise to me. You are somebody who sets your mind on something and gets it done. I want to ask about transition and transformation, which you've done many times. But I want to ask from back to the sales question standpoint, if somebody listening in right now is in sales, whether they're selling computers or mortgages or real estate or healthcare products, uh, what would you give advice to someone mastering their craft and their expertise as you did to become the very best salesperson beyond where they might be right now? What can they do to better themselves or skills in the sales industry? Man, that's such a loaded question because there's so many great nuggets I could give people. Um, I think the number one thing, I mean, the universal decision-making process for buyers is that price is four out of five, right? It's the fourth item out of five. And I think that salespeople tend to show up and throw up and talk about products. Mm. That's what they do. So I would just say that that is not the most important thing, even though you think it is. What's most important is you. And we all know this in sales. People like to work with people they know, like, and trust. The thing is, what we don't know as salespeople is that we say, well, they know 
know what I do. You have a title. They know what I do. They like me because they say hello. So therefore they should trust me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Where's the business? Problem is they don't know who you are. They know what you do, but they don't know who you are. You are the number one universal reason that people make decisions to buy. You, Amazon is right at a perfect example of it. Why do people go to Amazon instead of just going to the store? It's them. So you have to slow down long enough so you can speed up on the backside of your process rather than speeding up to slow down and not get the sale. Say that one more time. I love that. Say that those last two (laughs) Right. You have to slow down to speed up instead of speeding up to slow down. Yeah. And that's so true. And that's so hard when you are a salesperson because you're like, go, go, go more, more, more. So I love that. Well, and it reminded me, of when I was in my mid 20s or so, I went through a, a program that Xerox had actually created in the 60s, but it ended up becoming called a PSS or professional selling skills. And yeah. it talked about need right. satisfaction selling under or undercovering people's needs, meeting their needs with support right. statements, and then the, the, the features and benefits of your yeah. company your product and yourself. And people don't do what you just said, where they're giving the features and benefits about what value they bring to the table. Because if people know and like you, as you know, they will buy stuff from you. So you obviously found a way to make yourself equally or more important than the product because you knew that the trust that they were placing you to invest in their loan or their refi, or in this case, now you have clients in in the space. So that's great advice. It's not, you know, it's not a matter of if you're going to work with me, it's when, right? And it's not narcissist. It's not, it's a, it's a level of confidence that says, you know, that there, there really is no other choice because I'm going to be the one that's going to be holding your hand on this journey, you know, being there to take care of you. And I think that, you know, and, and this gets around to it too. I'll say this too, is uh, Nick's customer service. It doesn't exist anymore. It's customer experience. It's what the, how the client feels having worked with you so that they're so compelled to tell their friends, you create a revolving door referrals coming your way. So what is it uniquely about you that makes you different? Because if you're selling everything to everyone, you're selling nothing to no one. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, I love that. Nick's customer service and make sure you know you're creating the customer experience because an experience is very different than just being of service. So that's great. Now, on the same vein of that question, if someone listening in is a manager, an owner, an executive, and they are managing salespeople, what advice would you give to leaders to help make sure that they are grooming their salespeople, the men and women who work with them to sell their products and services? What can leaders do to help their salespeople even more than they might do now? Oh my gosh. See, you know, that again is very loaded because there's so many tactics, you know, the principles never change. And I know you do principles too, right? The principles never change, but the tactics do. And I think some of the principles um, is lead by example. That's number one. I think that there are a lot of owners, especially now, right? We're in the great resignation. Everybody's resigning from their jobs and say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, but see, but through attrition, you have to develop and level up your skills to be an owner manager or manager or, you know, any any type of leader on a team. And, and I think what's happened is through attrition, people have become leaders, but they don't have the skills behind that to recognize that you can't treat everyone the same. I love when I say that because people are like, oh, I treat all my, my employees the same. You can't. Yeah, it's like mistake, big mistake. (laughs) Big, 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 big mistake. Yeah, you. um, Everyone is uniquely different. Their competence level is different. Their commitment level is different. Their everything is different. Their personalities are different. How they receive information is different. And we have a tendency as managers to walk around and point fingers at everybody and go, "Well, they're they're this and they're that, and you know this, that, and the other." And he didn't learn, and she didn't that. And really, it's a thumb pointing. We need to start thumb pointing in ourselves and saying, "Am I providing the right platform? Am I providing the 
right culture, the right um, skill set myself to be able to manage and work with everybody. So I would say level you up before you start trying to tell salespeople because all you're going to do is tell salespeople the way you sold. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's so true. <laughs> right. and I, I had to learn that in sales going as well because when I was I was like, well, I want to treat all my people the same and I realized, but they're not the same. Some people are producing and like 20% of the people are making 80% of the business. Why right. should they be traded the same as someone who's only doing four houses a year and someone else is selling 100? That like you at the top 1%, you did not deserve to be treated the same as someone who had just done, you know, 1 million in sales in your compensation, in your authority of what you could get done, in the things that you could get to make your own decision. So I, in sales, it's it's not a fair game. It's he or she who helps drive the revenue, gets to help drive part of the, the rules. It doesn't mean you still can't be fair and equitable with them. It doesn't mean you still can't treat them and have rules and regulations and not let them run rampant. But it does mean that you can't treat everybody the same. And uh, leveling up your game. I love that because I, you know, I had to learn that myself growing up. And I was a, I remember when I was in my mid twenties managing real estate people that had been in the business for 20 or 30, 40 years. And are like, what are they going to learn from a 25 year old guy? I had to make sure that I was setting the example. I'll never forget when I was in, I, every morning I would prospect for recruits and I would be on the phone and I had it uh, outside my door. I said, I am prospecting for the next hour. Please sign in on my clipboard and I will come and get to you as soon as I'm done. And I did that every day religiously. And some of the agents started saying, hey, when we come in and we see that you're prospecting and you're doing your calls, we're like, shoot, I guess we better get busy. So it was like, I didn't even realize, I just knew that I I had to get recruits and drive revenue by getting new people. And my example of that discipline also reflected on them. So it's an example of that leading by the what you need. So great, great reminder. There. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to piggyback at that really quickly, I think uh, the reverse of that, that's why I smiled when you said that the reverse of that is too, is that once you've gotten to the ivory tower, you know, so when I became, became in the top 200, I was actually in the point zero zero. 3%, right? The top 0.003%, not the top one. Wow. And I mean, so you're included in the top one, but right. now you're at the point, you know, you're in your really elite have, of the elite, right? Yeah. And so when you get to, let's just call this an ivory tower, because we did that in corporate, we don't go, oh, the ivory tower, right? When you get to that ivory tower, you have to remember to take the elevator down and get some new blood and new ideas. You can't yeah, be so big that you can't go down and learn from other people. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Well, and I also realized that one of the things in leadership that I did is I also managed by walking around. I mean, I mean, I would, anytime I had to go to the restroom, anytime I was on the email or phone too long, I would say, okay, I got to need a break. And I would just go out and walk through my entire, and now a lot yeah. of people are working virtually. So it's a little bit different, but literally since I was managing real estate offices or then mortgage companies or whatever it might be, I made sure I went out and asked, how are you doing? What do you need anything, you know, help with? How are you feeling today? How's your transactions going. So, you know, right. manage by walking around and that can now be and managed by reaching out digitally, managed by reaching out and checking on your team through, you know, different one-on-one -on -one experiences. So that, yeah. th that is a great yeah. reminders. Um, we're, we're coming into this last, we're here, we're at our 32nd mark here, but I want to come back and we're going to roll into this last <laughs> segment that we have on, you talked to opening segment about faith. You talked about, you know, believing in yourself and mm -hmm. your confidence and who you are and what you do. So in this last segment, we're going to have a discussion about spiritual intelligence and how your faith that you brought up in the first segment has gone through almost everything that you've done in this creation of these multi-businesses that you have now and who you are as a woman and who you are as a leader and who you are as a coach and a, and a speaker. So for those of you that want to hear the real juice behind what makes Jen tick and really kind of what makes her heart and soul sing, come back and listen on the Alchemy of Business because we're going to wrap up with a, a very powerful segment on spiritual intelligence and business and life. So thanks for listening in. We will be right back.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business. Whether you are listening in, viewing, or however you got here, we're just glad you're here. I've been talking to Mrs. Jen Duplessis, who is a uh, just a fascinating woman. Talk about someone who is driven to goodness, driven to success, driven to do good in the world, and to driven to help other people. This is this is uh, her. So Jen and I were talking about many things on the last three segments, whether it was sales or family or faith or sacrifice or work-life balance. But Jen, I want to come back to a topic we left dangling a little bit, and then we'll <laughs> jump into the rest of the segment. You and I were talking about work-life balance. And then I was saying, yeah, sometimes you have to sacrifice stuff. And your comment was, oh, I want to be a little controversial there. And I want to challenge that. And you were saying, I don't know that you necessarily have to sacrifice. So can you tell people what you meant, what you mean by that and how you apply that in your own life? Yeah. You know, I think that, um, you know, I was sacrificing when I was, you know, way back when I said I'm proving, I'm proving, I was sacrificing a lot of different things. But when I decided that, you know, I'm done proving and I'm going to start living my life the way I want to live my life, I got really clear. And so clarity is one of the main uh, code crackers, right? If you're looking for the combination of that code, clarity is one of the first things. So I had to really go back to faith, right? We're going to talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. I had to go back to what are my core values? And it's funny when I coach my clients, I I say, well, you know, tell me a little bit about your core values. And they literally will say to me, family, as if it's a question, yeah. right? A core value is a non-negotiable. It's a conviction that you have. And so are you living up to your core values is really what it's about. And so I looked at that and said, okay, faith, family, stability. Those are my first three. Integrity and accountability are my second two. And I don't, I have other core values, but I really, every decision that I do, that I make now is driven by these core values. Will it affect my faith? Is it, does it go against my grain? Will it interrupt my family time, right? Is it, you know, I have to, sometimes, you know, you have to say yes to yourself and notice some clients and those yeah. clients that don't understand that yeah. next you just have to go to the next because you have to I work with people that complement and not complicate you and so that was part of it is figuring out my core values and figuring out what really truly fulfills me what fulfills me and if and for me I'm a competitive ballroom Latin and swing dancer I'm also oh, a competitive wow. marks woman I love shooting <laughs> rifles and so for me you are very you know, diverse I have to say I see you in the ballroom gala and I see you with a gun in your hand you are like so interesting <laughs> with that but go ahead I'm sorry <laughs> yeah you know for me I was like okay these things and playing with my grandkids and spending time with my husband and drinking wine and all of this fulfills me so why don't I get more of it why, where does the problem happen? And so I stumbled across this picture of a bowl of soup with a fork. And I realized, you know what? Every day, what I was doing is I was eating soup with a fork. I didn't have a plan. I was just doing activities for the sake of doing activities. I was crazy. I was exhausted when I got home. I didn't even know. I think I worked all day. I hope I moved something forward. And I wasn't full. I wasn't full. I wasn't fulfilled. And I said, okay, this has got to change. I'm going to create boundaries around my core values and what I want. And so I started saying, look, if you work on purpose, you can go play with passion. And we know that when we go on vacation, isn't it funny how we can get all our work done? It's the Parkinson's law, right? We we can get all of our work done and then we go on vacation. Well, then I said, well, what if I wanted to go on vacation every day? What if I want, if I could work four days a week and I only work a portion of those days and the rest of that, I go do what I want to do. And then I have three other days to do whatever I want to do, right? Yeah, that's powerful. And so I realized that there is no sacrifice when I am intentional and I know exactly what my plan looks like. I get in, do what I need to do. And I compartmentalize that in time management. So I got my priorities and then I throw them into time blocks and I just do like-minded activities at the same time so that I can do them twice as fast as everybody else. And then I do my job and I get everything done. And then I say, see ya. 
I'm going and I'm doing something for me. I'm doing something for my family. I'm going not to be, I'm not going to be late for anything. And I was literally present. I didn't have any lingering issues. I didn't have anything that was lingering. I wasn't um, everybody's beck and call girl, right? I wasn't on demand. I was moving myself to being in demand. And I could say, can I call you back between two and four when I'm sitting in front of my computer and I'm, I can dedicate 100% of my time and attention to serving you rather than walking through the grocery store, which I had done before, you know, covering up the phone and going, shut up, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> right. Or like, don't grab that, honey. Yes, yes, yes right. I can help you. Yes, I can help you. Right. I'd stop doing all that. Enough is enough. So 100%. We're going to have so many hashtags and and slips from that last time <laughs> you did. So you were on a roll there. I love all of that. I mean, you're talking about purpose and passion and you can play. You were talking about clarity. Love that. You were saying, say yes. Yeah. Sometimes have to say no to others and say yes to yourself. And I love that you're teaching all your clients. And I know in many of your books and podcasts, you talk about this, but Noel, I know we have like a slide on number nine where it's got Jen's books, but in your book launch or tell me I can't, or in your other one about impact. impact. So for those of you that want to learn more about Jen, we're not done yet. We're going to be done in a few minutes, but make sure you're checking her out on our Amazon books. We're going to have all these in the in the show notes, her podcast, because these things she drills way deep down. But for, for those of you that don't have a life plan, don't have core values, don't have your schedule stuff mapped out that you, you just like if you work in companies, which many of you do, or you own companies, they have P&Ls, they have budgets, they have balance sheets, they have mission statements, they have core values. Why don't we have those as individual peoples in ourselves and in our families? And what Jen is talking about is how to make that so powerful that you are not eating soup with a fork every day. Because so many of us can relate to what you just said and feel that way. So thank you for those nuggets. There's so many there. We could have a whole other show on some of those hashtag eat soup with a fork right there. So um, let's let's jump into, we have a segment that we do because I want to come back and, and finish that and talk about a spirituality and business. But we have something called instantly interesting Instagram. And this is where we just have a little um, couple minutes here with the fun segment. Many people are on yeah. social media today for their business <laughs> or their family or their life. And we just went in and we pulled a, a couple little snapshots from your Instagram. And the rules are this, there's three rules. We just took a quick dive on your photos on Instagram feed. We then pulled them up. It's what we thought were interesting without any context. And then you're going to quickly share it with us and tell us more what was happening in that particular photo. So you game to play? Yep. Go for it. Okay. So everyone uh, listening in, if you can't see this because you're listening, which you may be, I'm going to explain the photo to you, but we're getting ready to start instantly interesting Instagram. This is Jen, who is in a, a very vibrant, cool red jacket at a, a restaurant, having her food, like uh, her hand displayed out on, I don't know if those are cookies or shrimp or what those are, but there's all these, we've got people in masks, but in a restaurant, it looks like a very busy place. What is this photo here? Yeah. Well, actually that was just a couple of weeks ago. I was up in Newark, New Jersey and walked into a diner and I was at a diner in New Jersey. Right. Oh, and gosh, my gosh, husband, gosh. my husband looks like, talks like, acts like his family has the same kind of background as Tony Soprano. Okay. Oh, so I'm in his area, his forget about it area. And everything in that place was huge. I'm, I'm plant-based. Okay. So everything in that place was just like, I mean, I just felt calories and, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, Oh my gosh, I needed to have someone take a picture of me really quick to show him. I'm actually in a diner and all the junk food that was there. I mean, it was crazy. Oh, uh, A diner in Jersey crazy. or a diner in New York, nothing like that. Yeah. Here's another photo. This is uh, yeah. looking like uh, at a center Island in a kitchen yeah. with all kinds of papers spread out and a little bit 
bit perplexed. What's going on here? Yeah. Well, it was me getting ready for my three-day workshop. <laughs> it's how right. I prepare for it, right? And so um, each one of those pieces of paper, you know, index card's too small. So, and another card is too big. So I just cut up a bunch of eight and a half by 11 paper and, and I'm, I'm frugal too. So, so I was cutting them all up. And so every topic that I ever want to talk about, I put on these papers and I just have stacks of them, right? And I was just sorting through them and go, okay, what, what is my heart showing that I want to be talking about in this particular workshop? So all of them have, you know, some parts are right, you know, I mean, not right, but uh, some parts are the cracking the top producer code, you know, the specific elements and principles, but I, I depends on what's going on, you know, what's going on in the world, what's going on with me, my clients, you know, what I'm sensing from everybody. And so this is just me putting together my workshop. Cool. And what's the name of your workshop if people wanted to join Cracking it? the top producer code. Yeah, it's the top producer code.com. The, the top, top producer. producer. Okay. The yeah. top producer code.com. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody yeah. in any, and this is for all industries, right? It's not just for yeah. lending or no, not at yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. So anybody everybody. that would want to do that, I would highly recommend checking that out. This is a photo looking like you're being interviewed on a TV show, I think. Yeah. Uh, yep. And so it looks like your, uh, your, your guest is uh, interviewing you and you both are having a very hearty conversation here. So what was this about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is Michael D. Butler. He is the CEO and founder of Beyond Publishing, who published uh, the most recent book, Tell Me I Can't. And uh, he republished for me launch in soft paperback, paperback. Um, and so he called me into a studio in Dallas and we we were doing an interview for book writers. So that's what it was. We were interviewing a couple of those. So got it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Noel, yeah. do we have any more? Photo? Uh, there, there is somebody um, who looks like probably the apple of your eye. There is an adorable little girl. Oh, she's there. one of them. Yeah, she's yeah. one of them. This is, yeah, this is Anna. With bows on her and uh, both look so content yeah. there. What are you guys doing that day? Well, that was Christmas and I had bought her this little outfit for Christmas this past year. Oh. And she, she's my, well, she's like me. She's the glamour, right? <laughs> she's my glam, uh, you know, granddaughter. My other one's a little more, you know, athletic and, and that kind of thing. And this is my glam one. And she spent probably a half an hour upstairs with her mom, wouldn't let us see anything. And she came downstairs grinning from ear to ear, just so much pride in her cute little outfit because she loved this, you know, little outfit. And Anna's also the name of the character in Tell Me I Can't. She's the main character. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Good. Well, congrats. Yeah. congrats. That looks very fun. And I think that wraps up that. So great to end with one of your grandkids. I know you have three, right? Yes. Yeah. Next time we'll have to show the others. But yeah. I want to come into this segment. One of the things that you have openly talked about in your life and on the show is this thing with faith. So one of the things mm -hmm. that uh, my last book that I wrote was called The Iggy Principles, which is about inviting good in or inviting God in versus edging good out or edging good out, edging God out. And I know you love acronyms. So if I were to ask you with the word faith and in spirituality religion, how do you define your own spirituality? What is What is the definition of spirituality to you at this stage in your life? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because it's transitioning right now. It's deeply rooted, you know, as I'm approaching 60 and we've recently lost all of our parents. So my husband and I are both orphans, as someone told us one day and we went, oh my gosh, we're orphans. It's awful. Oh, wow. <laughs> the yeah. awful thought. But you know, as, as we're approaching, you know, looking at your life and making sure that, you know, that you are, and this is why the pot, the other podcast is called success to significance, because there's just more out there, you know, and so this is the pull for the show. It's the pull for the next stage and the 
next transition in my life. It's changing. It's it's um, more deeply rooted. It, I have a a relationship of oh God, please let that go well. And you know, but it's it's uh, take the wheel, right? I'm really in the take the wheel right now, mm. spiritually, and and things are just happening. They're happening, and and I'm learning that uh, just as I I preach this, so I like to live it. Is that I'm saying no to more things than I've ever said before, and I'm always afraid of it. But I'm like, nope. It's okay. You're bringing all the opportunities for me to discern whether or not these are things that I want to have in my life. So my relationship with spirituality from the God perspective is there. I meditate more. I pray more. I breathe more. Um, I find that, uh, and I am an empath. I find that I am more connected to people than I ever have been before. And that's the path that I'm currently going down, you know, is being able to really help people more than I ever have. And so that's why my my uh, mastermind is called Make Your Mark, right? Like go out there and make your mark. Don't go out and prove, go out and make your mark, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's where, that's where I'm really at now spiritually. Well, making your mark and creating a legacy, you're definitely doing that. And as your husband and you, as this team approach you've had for 38, going on 40 some odd years, have you both evolved in your own spiritual conversation, your interactions into your family and life? And is that something that you both have ebb and flowed with? fairly, you know, together or do you sometimes yeah. grow differently than he does? And then you guys come back and, you know, meet yeah. in the middle at some point as your marriage uh, grows? I'm curious about how you do that in your yeah. team partnership of your spirituality. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm much more, I was much more spiritual uh, coming into our marriage, much more faith-based. He's Catholic too, but in name, it's not about being Catholic or being pres Presbyterian or being Jewish or whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, right. I, I'm, well, it does for Jewish, but I'm Christian, right? But we all believe in God. And, and, but I was practicing that faith. He did not practice the faith. So when he came into our family, you know, he, I let him go at his own pace. And then eventually he came on and I'm thankfully, I'm not one of those few women in the Catholic faith that go to church by themselves because her husband don't go, you know, he's with me all the time. I then grew and wanted to be, I was going to say a servant and a Eucharistic minister. They don't call him that anymore. I wanted to do that. I wanted to deliver communion to families. That was part of my transition of um, doing what I want to do at the end of the day, like be intentional so I can go do something, which was delivering communion to the homebound and people in hospice. And I, I made that commitment to them. So I I have to leave my, so there's no sacrifice, right? That's the commitment I made. And um, and then he grew again. And the thing that he grew that I love the most is that I asked him whether or not he felt it was time that he could be the spiritual leader in our household. Oh, wow. That's a powerful Because part. I was the spiritual leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wanted my husband, I wanted my man to be that. And he started going to Bible study. He went to a, um, a Bible study called uh, The Man Within and mm -hmm. about everything that God looks for in men. And in he that man that was in him came out. Mm -hmm. Right. And he became the spiritual leader of our family. And I think that that has uh, grown leaps and bounds because I've seen my son-in-law take the leadership role in his relationship with my daughter when um Maybe I wasn't even the spiritual leader in the family my daughter was. She's that good, right? Mm -hmm. She's that powerful. And he stepped up to that and said, well, if your dad's a spiritual leader, then I'm going to be the spiritual leader in my household. And I and they just had our, our priest over for dinner two nights ago, you know, because that he calls, oh, Father E, Father e is over here. So, um, yeah, so I think it's been a little bit of yin and yang. Um, you know, we are there to support one another in the deaths of our parents and, you know, the passing of them and really helping one another go through that. But, but I'd say that, you know, the yin and yang is that we don't get that much further ahead of each other. We're pretty much on on even keel for what, what we believe and what we want to portray out there. You know, I believe in internal and external 
integrity. I think a lot of people, you know, in the space that you and I are in, you know, there's a lot of external integrity, but behind the scenes, it's not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that internal and external, and I love the trading off of the spiritual leadership. So whether you're listening in and you are, you're in a partnership, maybe you're in a marriage, maybe you're in a, uh, a couple relationship, maybe you're single, obviously you're in businesses potentially in companies, but that spiritual leadership concept that Jen's leaving us with is so powerful. And it's, you know, how, do, how are you personally showing up, uh, those listening in or watching in your own spiritual leadership? A, what's your, your definition of spirituality? How can you take and put that internally and externally in your life and in your businesses? And it really is just by doing good by to others. You know, it really is that old golden rule that came down, you know, do unto others as you'd like to have done to yourself and of servant leadership mm-hmm. of really being of service. And so when I think of being of service, it sounds to me like you've been of great service to many people on the planet through your work, through your family, through your craft, through your your passion to your joy. So I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you for all your golden nuggets. We could go for more and more hours, but unfortunately we were coming to the tail end, but thank you for leading a life of significance. And thank you for sharing that with others. It was really a pleasure having you on the show, Jen. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I mean, we've had just so much fun, you know, not only here, but I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks too. Thank you for having me and letting me share this story. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone for listening in on the Alchemy of Business or watching. We will see you next time and continue to remember you can always make make wiser decisions, find ways to make greater profits in your life and business, and hopefully be serving your higher purpose. Thank you, everyone. See you next time. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed and see you soon.